Welcome to Misadventures in Music, the podcast number three, with me, Mick Ord. And me, Ian Prowse. And today, we've, in, in fact, the next two episodes, today and the following one, we're going to look at artists who've changed musical direction or, in fact, rejected the music industry completely and gone on to do painting and decorating and <laughs> weird, weird things like that, aren't we? Yeah. I think it's a terminally fascinating thing when uh, when an artist is known for one type of thing and then they just veer left and something else happens, yeah. uh, not always successfully. And the reason why I'm interested in it is because it's had a, one of these, well, a few of these, but what we're going to look at, have had a massive effect on me in, in and the music that I uh, have made down the years has been in, deeply inspired by one or two of these left turns so I could talk about it all day so I'm very glad that we've chosen this subject <laughs> and hopefully we can take a little bit of the mystery out of it because to someone that's not involved in the music industry like me let's face it it's a bit like a bit like being a premiership footballer I imagine you know a lot of the time it's hard graft and boring stuff and dealing with divvies yeah but for a couple of hours on a Saturday afternoon, it's great. And I guess it's the equivalent for the musical, for, well, for the music industry as well, really, isn't it? Well, well, people probably tend to think that it, it's something that kind of happens overnight and, and they, you know, the artist wakes up and goes, I'm going to be like this now. But actually, it's much, much more of a slow process. You know, you, they kind of, it, it comes around that they're going to do this movement towards this type of music or this, in, in some cases, leaving where they lived and going to live somewhere else, you know, to be inspired. And uh, so it's not, it, it, it's, it is less romantic and less mystical than you might think, but uh, it doesn't make the music any less wonderful. No, not at all. You still get that kick, that high, that rush of adrenaline when you play in front of a crowd or, you've got, or you release a song that you're really happy about. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and 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 the the significant change still does take place. It's just not so much of a as a big bang that you might think. Well, the first person we're going to talk about today is someone I've been fascinated by since watching her on the telly back in the late 60s, early 70s, Bobby Gentry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, her first single, Ode to Billy Joe. Um, amazing story. Very, very talented woman. Did by... this song um, on, on one of my 40 Friday night lockdown shows. Oh, wow. Yeah, I performed this song. So I read up all about it and watched every piece of video about it because it's such a fascinating and foreboding song. Um, what was thrown off the bridge. It was a third of June, another sleepy, dusty Delta day. I was out chopping cotton and my brother was baling hay. And at dinner time we stopped and walked back to the house to eat. And mama hollered at the back door, y'all remember to wipe your feet. And then she said, I got some news this morning from Choctaw Ridge. Today, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. 
papa said to mama as he passed around the black eyed peas. Well, Billy Joe never had a lick of sense. Pass the biscuits, please. There's five more acres in the lower 40 I got to plow. And mama said it was a shame about Billy Joe, anyhow. Seems like nothing ever comes to no good up on Choctaw Ridge. And now Billy Joe McAllister's jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. And brother said he recollected when he and Tom and Billy Joe put a frog down my back at the Carroll County Picture Show. Wasn't I talking to him after church last Sunday night? I'll have another piece of apple pie. You know it don't seem right. I saw him at the sawmill yesterday on Choctaw Ridge. And now you tell me Billy Joe's jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. said to me, child, what's happened to your appetite? I've been cooking all morning and you haven't touched a single bite. That nice young preacher, Brother Taylor, dropped by today. Said he'd be pleased to have dinner on Sunday. Oh, by the way, Looked a lot like you up on Choctaw Ridge And she and Billy Joe was throwing something off the Tallahatchie Bridge A year has come and gone since we heard the news about Billy Joe Brother married Becky Thompson, they bought a store in Tupelo There was a virus going round, Papa caught it and he died last spring. And now Mama doesn't seem to want to do much of anything. And me, I spend a lot of time picking flowers up on Choctaw Ridge and drop them into the muddy water off the Tallahatchie Bridge. to Billy Joe by uh, by Bobby Gentry and that was supposed to be the B-side which is unbelievable isn't it <laughs> the A-side was a song called Mississippi Delta okay she recorded it because she wanted to be a songwriter she wasn't interested in being a singer and she sent that as a demo to the record company and they made the correct decision yeah brackets not many in her career that yeah. made the right decision well, they the, switched the, it to the A-side didn't they yeah and the delivery of her performance is, is unbelievable you know, I mean the the uh, the cellos and the and the, and the, the violins that have come in are a beautiful adornment as well. But even if they weren't there, just her playing and the way that she sings it yeah. is just draws you in. 
and it's fascinating. The, and the story, oh, the story, wow. of course, is it's a, it's it's at once familiar because these people are white Europeans singing in English, you know, because they, they they would have been Scots or Irish immigrants probably from the area that she came from, uh, you know, if it's an Appalachian sort of song. Um, but it's also really unfamiliar to us because they're, you know, they're, it's an idiom she's operating in of a certain Americanness, which is, you know, when she's talking about the black eyed peas and the yeah, way they're setting yeah. up the story, yeah. which kind of makes it, you know, America's terminally fascinating to us here as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the two, the two things are give it a wonderful atmosphere. Like America itself, underneath the surface is a great darkness, you know. Yeah. Um, her the, the area that this is set in is just absolutely dragged down by inherent racism constantly, you know, and and whatever's going on underneath, exemplified by something mysterious has been thrown off the bridge. There's been many people speculated what that is. Yeah, a fetus. Yeah, yeah. You know, a wedding ring. It, it's a true gothic yeah. short story. Yeah, I mean, she was brought up, and and this is. Become a cliche, unfortunately. Yeah. No electricity, no plumbing. That is real really? poverty. She was brought up well, like okay. that. Yeah. And hugely talented. She ended up at the LA Academy of Music, I think it was. Okay. Los Angeles Conservatory of Music. She took classes in she took classes in composition, music theory and arranging. She did a philosophy major. Right. She was very, very bright. Right. So she saw both aspects of the, of, did, you know, yeah, of the yeah, yeah. of the class system, would as it would have yes. been. Yes, um, and and the fact you know you talked about the lyrics before when she brings in that bit about pass the biscuits, please. Yeah. God, uh, that yeah. is just it's like she's written a short story and then thought right, boil it down into a song, and she's kind of taking the highlights in. It's so prosaic. Oh, yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean anything, and it just it's just a big setup, a wonderful setup for uh, what is going to happen next. And, of course, they, they carry on with their lives, even though the guy's committed suicide, but it's still there in the background. You know, in the last verse, she's talking about it. Yeah. The, uh, it, it's, it it's, uh, it's never dealt with. No, no, know? and that, that's what makes it more fascinating. The tension in the song is there. Yeah. This, you know, this song will be getting played in 300 years' time. Yeah, no. It is so wonderfully executed. I, I mean, that album, of the first album of hers, which I'm, I'm fairly sure was mostly her own composition, they thought, let's pull it together quickly. So they kind of rushed it out in a way, because okay. there's influences of folk, jazz, which you can hear in yeah, that, the jazz, swing, yeah. country, and it, Knock Sergeant Peppers yeah. off number one in this country. It did fantastic in America. And then subsequently, her career, it kind of, from a commercial point of view, it didn't really come back. But they realised how bright she was and how very, very capable she was of doing all this stuff. She arranged, she designed her own costumes. Oh. She, she did a two series for BBC Two in England, the head of the BBC, I mean, would this happen now? Saw an American singer and thought, right, we'll give her a series. Right. So they brought her over. She did two series. And the producer uh, said that by the end of the second series, she was producing it. But the BBC wouldn't give her credit because he was <laughs> the producer. She was a woman. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and yeah. also the fact they were worried that other artists might come along right. and they want to produce it. Yeah. So she was dead capable. Yeah. But 
it would seem, and, and when you're doing your research on this, like a lot of things, it's difficult to nail down what really happened. Yeah. She did lots of stage shows in LA. She had like six albums out in the space of a couple of years. Yeah. She had other singles that maybe weren't quite as commercially successful. And I think some of the speculation I've read is that they couldn't pigeonhole the wrecking company. Right. Was she country? Is she pop? Well, I, you know, I imagine the confusion would have began uh, from the very beginning uh, in the 60s when her name was being mentioned, you know, in meetings, uh, Bobby Gentry. They would have thought she was a fella, you know, because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, some DJs thought she was black. Right, okay. Because yeah. they, they'd never heard anybody sing with this southern twang before. Yeah, yeah. And she sang gospel as well. She, yeah. did, she did it all there. Yeah. So this was... This, this song... Uh, was her first release, was it? Yeah. And this, yeah. and it was obviously a worldwide smash hit, yeah. and a really unusual, and uh, has incredible depth. So what what happened then? Well, she 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 released lots of other albums beyond that. Um, n none were quite as successful as that, right. but nevertheless, they did okay. She produced oh a third and final series of show for BBC Two. This is in 1971. Then she went back to America. She released an album called Patchwork in April 71. And it was described at the time as a collection of short stories in song ranging from country to pop to blues, all stitched together with cinematic interludes to make a cohesive whole. Yeah, and you can hear okay. that from the first, from yeah. the song we just played. And then the, the senior board of managers at Capitol uh, was fired. This is kind of early 70s. Major restructuring took place. EMI, the pairing company, then tried to seize back control and rekindle the label's dwindling profits. And this saw the artist roster slashed from 247 people to 81. Yeah. And so that affected her career as well. Right, yeah. she, she also wanted more control. Right. Over I know all about that. <laughs> about somebody in the label being sacked and then all of a sudden you're yeah. left high and dry. Yeah. Um, she was a star of, on, on the Glen Campbell show, which was big at the time. She did a duet. Anyway, as the 70s went on, she kind of, you know, wasn't happy. And yeah. in fact, there's a song, um, there's a song on one of her albums called Looking In. And if you listen to that song, we're not going to play it, but if people are interested... And that kind of hints why she might go. She's sick of doing the same thing all the right. time. Well, um, if she came... If she... If she came bursting in with such a magnificent song as Oh to Billy Joe uh, and nothing else has quite hit the heights of that yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, hit-wise and her own personal, you know, creativity of yeah. something like that. So she's always kind of looking back. That's, that's a tough... It is. I mean, in terms of her creativity, it was certainly there. I mean, yeah. looking back, I'm, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, well... Now they would probably think too many albums in a, in a short period of time. But yeah. I mean, until 82, you know, she was still performing in Los Angeles. She appeared on Johnny Carson on Christmas Day. She attended the Best of Vegas Awards. She did loads of stuff. Her final appearance on TV singing was for a TV special. Uh, she sang a song called Mama a Rainbow from the musical Minnie's Boys for her mother who was seated in the audience. Right. And then her final public appearance came a year later when she attended the, Ita the Academy of Country Music Awards in April 1982. 
And there are no photographs that I can find of her since then. And there are rumours that she lives in a gated community in Memphis, Tennessee, or in Los Angeles. We don't know. Oh, okay. Fact, she's <laughs> worth a huge amount of money from some of the research I've done. And there was a film about her life, yeah. and she negotiated a deal where she got 15% of the, right. of the revenue. So, so she, 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 she doesn't need any money, so she's no. not working. Oh, no, no. Um, but... But would, uh, so her money would it have come from just that one song? Or? Well, royalties. No, I mean, the other albums did okay yeah. at, at, at various times. And in fact, there's a song I'm going to play now that I remember seeing her sing it on telly. It's called yeah. Fancy. And another great, you'll, if you haven't heard Fancy, yeah. listen to the lyrics to it because you're just thinking, wow, what a talent. I think... And is this where her left turn comes in, musically speaking? Is, is, is this where she's... Well, she's kind of gone off somewhere else. Her left turn really is 1982. She just gives it up. Okay. That Throughout that time, she was doing country soul pop. She was doing yeah. the lot, and and maybe as you've kind of hinted, that yeah. was that was one of the weaknesses as far as the record company was concerned. Yeah. But um, what a talent, and it just seems such a shame from our point of view. But maybe it was the right decision from hers. Maybe as she hints in the song. She's just fed up with it all, doing the same thing, and wants to get out and count some money. She wants to listen to it. Life. This is fancy. I remember it all very well. Looking back, it was the summer I turned 18. We lived in a one-room, run-down shack on the outskirts of New Orleans. We didn't have money for food or rent, to say the least. We were hard pressed. Then Mama spent every last penny we had to buy me a dancing dress. Mama washed and combed and curled my hair And she painted my eyes and lips And then I stepped into a satin dancing dress It was split on the side, cleaned up to my hips well, It was red velvet trim and it fit me good And staring back from the looking glass Was a woman where a half grown kid had stood Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down Mama dad a little bit of perfume on my neck and she kissed my cheek And I saw the tears well up in her troubled eyes when she started to speak She looked at a pitiful shack and then she looked at me and took a ragged breath Your paws run off and I'm real sick and the baby's gonna starve to death she handed me a heart-shaped locket that said to thine own self be true And I shivered as I watched a roach crawl across the toe of my high heel shoe It sounded like somebody else that was talking, asking, Mama, what do I do? And just be nice to the gentleman, Fancy, and they'll be nice to you Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down the last time I saw my mom the night I left that rickety shack cause the welfare people came and took the baby mom died and I ain't been back but the wheels of fate had started to turn and me there was no way out and it wasn't very long till I knew exactly what my mom had been talking about I did what I had to do but I made myself a solemn vow that I was gonna be a lady someday though I didn't know when I I couldn't see spending the rest of my life with my head hung down in shame. 
I might have been born just plain white trash, but fancy was my name. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. It wasn't long after a benevolent man took me in off the street. And one week later I was pouring his tea in a five-room hotel suite. Yes, you were. Well, I've charmed a king, a congressman, and an occasional aristocrat. And I got me a Georgia mansion in an elegant New York townhouse flat. And I ain't done bad. Crits that would call me bad And criticize my mama for turning me out No matter how little we had And though I ain't had to worry about nothing But now I'm 15 years I can still hear the desperation In my poor mama's voice ringing in my ear Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down Lord, forgive me for what I do And I guess she did So Bobby Gentry, or to give it a birth name, Rebecca Lee Streeter Oh wow Fancy I have to say, that's every bit as good as as Ode to Billy Joe. I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah. That's a, a fabulous song. And obviously autobiographical to a certain degree. She's talking about being poor white trash and the, and the uh, and uh, being, you know, removed by the social services. So it's a song of, uh, of class yeah, as it well. Is. It is. And they, they, yeah. there's a saying that, um, you know, if... If, uh, if Britain goes to the cross on class, America goes to the, the cross on race, you know, these are the, the great issues uh, bestowing the two countries. But this one it looks at it from a, a class point of view. Yes. Um, which, for me, makes it a really fascinating song. Um, but there's also, within that song, there is, for me, I can detect a lot of, uh, of sort of hope as well. She's going, you know... I've had a tough life, but I've used what I've learned. You know, what don't kill you, make you stronger. And uh, I've turned it round. That's right. And, and, and she's embraced the system and got what she wants from it. She so. had to produce seven albums in four years. Wow. Yeah. And, and she wrote a lot of them. She didn't write everything, but she, she, yeah. she wrote a lot and she had to produce that. She retired from the studio in 71, more or less. Okay. And the stage in 81. Yeah. And... Who knows where she is now, but she's left us a great legacy that is still uh, underappreciated. Oh, I, d- deeply. I mean, I've, as I say, I've never heard that song, but I'll be playing it again a lot. And I love that she, the signature um, sort of swooping and falling strings that is on yeah. Ode to Bobby Joe is on that. On that and I was yeah. surprised by that. Um, but it's, it's, like, it's like her thing. You don't hear that on sort of country kind of uh, folky sort of records. Uh, and and again, her delivery defies just putting in a, in in any sort of box, doesn't it? Yeah. That's that's something that's just all hers. Yeah. She, it's almost as if she's kind of just rapping on about her life, a real life. Yeah, she's got lovely little f- throwaway phrases like, 
I think I did all right, or I guess I yeah. did all right. Yeah, it's yeah. if to say yeah. F you to the yeah. music industry or whatever, you know. I think so. Yeah. Really uh, fabulous. Um, we, well, we're going to talk about uh, another woman artist who, um, who's been through a lot in a, in a career. And we're going to talk about Alanis Morissette, a uh, Canadian artist, of course, uh, author of one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Um, but that's not how she began. You know, a lot of people thought that Jagged Little Pill, which I think sold 33 million copies. Wow. Which means she doesn't ever have to work again. <laughs> <laughs> Done all right. She ain't uh, going out on the road <laughs> and, <laughs> and playing all the little venues like the rest of us. Um, and people thought that was her first record, um, but it actually wasn't. She was, um, she was well known in her native Canada as kind of a sort of a dance pop sort of, uh, you know, uh, children's artist, for want of a, be of a better word. Pop. You know, yeah, like uh, uh, she, she was known at the time and she probably resented it, I, I don't know, as like the Canadian version of Tiffany. You know, oh, wow. I think we're alone now. Or Debbie Gibson. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Canadian version of that. So the teen sort of thing. Yes. And... Um, it was uh, there would be there would have been as as many comments about her hair as there would have been about the music itself, and I was uh, listening to I think the, the biggest kind of hit that she had in in uh, she's only I think she's only fifteen sixteen seventeen at, at this time they're signed to MCA in America and she's co-writing though she's co-writing this music you know and to my ears it sounds like a little bit like Prince. There's that there's that dance pop thing going on, and um, it brings into a question uh, that that interesting discussion and debate of credibility, you know, um, because they're chasing, you know, the way that it's set up, the way that the label has it set up. You 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 market your music into certain areas and to certain people, and you kind of chase that certain thing. So this is in that. Dance pop team idiom. So that's the way that Alanis Morissette sounded before the rest of the world outside of Canada got to know her, because it didn't go outside of Canada. And I think then she did another... Thankfully. Yeah, yeah. I think then she did another record, which was slightly more ballady, which wasn't as successful as that. And at this point, she gets dropped. I think she, she wrote pretty much all of the songs on that as well. But there's that kind of, um, in, in teen bands, there's also that, apart from the dance thing that they do, there's also the ballad thing. They, you know, take that, for example. Yes, we're, yeah. we're very much 
you you might get a dance track out of Take That, or you might get the El- Sub Elton John ballad thing out of Take That. Um, and this is going down that road. It's probably why I dislike <laughs> that, you know, that sort of music. Um, it's so conservative and safe and, you know, it's it very much, it, it, ain't, it ain't going nowhere for, for me as the listener, but there again, it wasn't aimed at me. So, yeah. so now she's dropped. She hasn't done anything outside of a, a you know, a life in Canada as an artist, but she herself is not finished. She is, uh, there's much more to come out of her. Now, via her connections, um, she gets introduced. I think she probably still had a, a publishing deal because she was a writer as well, and uh, and her management stuck by her. Uh, and they connected her up with a guy called Glenn Ballard, who was a, a producer. Who'd, uh, who'd was known for for a few things that had already been done, and she'd she'd played him some of her brand new songs, and he he really got it. So he said, "Well, let's make a record in my studio," which would have been a big deal because you know the studios back then were incredibly expensive, and you know the, there's no record company putting money into this. Are we talking the nineties now? We're talking right? early nineties, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so at this point. He's just putting all of his faith into her. So, you know, fair play to him. Uh, he ain't getting anything out of it, apart from the fact that he thinks she's got something. Um, it, everything else has fallen apart for her. But she's started to write a different type of song. And apparently they wrote the whole of the album together really, really quickly. And they did, um, they were writing songs in 30 minutes. And it was a splurge of her emotions of what she was going through at the time. And when they came to actually do the vocals, they were all done in one or two takes. And if you listen to them, you can really tell. But what she is doing is she is she's doing an authentic representation of what is going through in on in her life at, at this time, which is basically uh, the breakup of a relationship. She's had a relationship with this guy. And um, it's all gone wrong. Uh, and she's singing about it with no holds barred. And when they were when they were recording it, I think she said to Glenn Ballard, oh, I'll change that. You know, I can't, we can't have a song whereby I'm talking about going down on somebody in theatre, you know, uh, like, you know, does she do that like I did? That's an outrageous thing to sing for a young woman in a, you know, never going to get away with that. And to be fair to him, he goes, is that how you feel? She says, yeah. He goes, leave it in. This is, this Good is art. art. Good this art. is not what you've done before. No, no. This is art. So it's one of those records, Jagged Little Pill, that is, it is written quickly. It is a direct representation to how she's feeling at that time. So it's a, a you know, a painting. Yeah. It's like Van Gogh. He's, it's splurging out of his imagination. It's wild. It's unkempt. It, there is no boundaries to what he's going to paint or what she's going to write. So it's violently emotional. You know, there's rage in there. Great rage and great anger. And it's all just pouring out of her. You know, it's not, 
it's not like a, a considered. Hey, what are we going to do here? We 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 failed with the with the kid pop thing. What are we going to do? It, it's bypassing all of that. Yeah, it's yeah. just pouring out of it, and you can hear it. You know, and they didn't. I don't think either her or Glenn were thinking. Oh, we've written a monster album. You know, it wasn't. That wasn't. They couldn't get it signed for a kickoff. It went to every label in America. Isn't that amazing? Nobody would sign it. They wow. were. It was just uh, because at this point we have to mention that stylistically. It was out had gone kind of uh, the the uh, the drum machine production and all of that in it was it was a rock record you know what I mean with her doing her distinctive vocals over the top unabashed you know uh, yelping and screaming and uh, but also at the same time deeply melodic with immense choruses you know which just they just did naturally so. Uh, in the, you know, and she's the, in the record. She's just chastising this lover. <laughs> you know, he's getting it in the neck, and it's. Um, so, which is the one you're gonna choose from that? Uh, well, there's a lot. There's uh, you also know was the was the first big hit single with the with that famous you know uh, uh, line in about going down in the theatre, which I remember when it came out, everybody was talking about it. Yeah. But, but half to say, how did that get on the you know, radio? <laughs> how does this work? But for some reason, it had slipped through, and it was uh, it was powerful, and it made people talk about it. But the first time I ever heard her was uh, this song uh, we're going to play now, which it, it, which I remember thinking and seeing the video, and thinking oh, that's a great bit of songwriting and a great you know pop record as well in in its own way. I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy. I'm green but I'm wise 
but I'm friendly, baby. I'm sad, but I'm laughing. I'm brave, but I'm chicken shit. I'm sick, but I'm pretty. Um, eventually they got signed by Maverick which was co-owned by Madonna they were the only label who were interested in them and everybody else rejected them oh, wow. um, it's unapologetically tapping into a, a main artery of like, raw female emotion yeah. um, you know with the female bit component being a massive thing as she's spoken about throughout her life you know about uh, abuse and coercion and everything else which, are, which will resonate with a lot of women in society, never mind the music industry. But, the, but her attitude comes over as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's that kind of, yeah. I'm brave, but I'm chicken shit. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah just, it's great. You know, well, it's, love that, love that. Uh, anger, you know, anger being um, channeled is a powerful thing. Um, uh, what's, the, what's the quote from King Lear? Uh, anger hath a privilege. Uh, yeah. The clash, uh, anger is an energy. Do you know that you can use it? You know yeah. uh, that thing of you can get angry, but you've got to channel it. Yeah, yeah. And this is right. what she's done. And yeah. because she's written these songs, uh, her and Glenn have made this album in a in a, in a short time, a short burst. They're, these are my favorite albums. Like Bruce yeah. Springsteen, Tunnel of Love. He's written this set of songs in a short time. Yeah. Uh, REM, Automatic for the People. It's it encapsulates a certain thing kind of what debut albums don't have debut albums tend to be an accumulation of songs before you get signed yeah yeah whereas great art for me comes along later where you write in a splodge of uh, of your feelings and this is uh what she's done here and i mean i'm sure she ain't complaining too too hard but it's always going to be Jagged Little Pill. She's the woman who made Jagged Little Pill, as opposed to whatever she does now is always going to be compared to that, you know what I mean? But you know, you said before we played the song that it was very live. And I mean, the the, the guitar and the drums, they sound live. Yeah. They're not yeah. overproduced, are they? No. It sounds raw. I bet you it sounds like that when she does it live. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Well, I think they've they've done a, a musical of it. Apparently, that's really powerful too. Yeah. Um, not that I'm a fan of musicals at all, but that if you're going to use these songs off that album, then um, I can imagine it, it really hitting home. So uh, yeah, so she it, it, there's there's two different worlds going on there, you know, from the yeah. from the young Alanis to 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 this record and everything she's done since. Great. Uh a great way to bookend a career. Hopefully, a career isn't over now, but it's a great, the great milestones anyway. Forget yeah, bookends. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've got another one. Um, one person I've been fascinated by for a long, long time is Marianne Faithful. Because oh. when I was a kid, I remember watching the telly and there was this stunning 
however old she was, 16, 17 year old, coming on the telly and there was all the scandal over her relationship with Mick Jagger and that. Yeah. When you look into her life and see what she's done over the past 40, 50 years, it's, it's really remarkable. Here's a track from the very first album. She, she had two albums. She was launched with two albums. One was a pop album and one was a folk. Yeah. And here's, here's a little bit of a folk song from her, from her first album, Come My Way. The wild mountain time that grows around my door Has grown there for two score years or more And I've grown weary waiting for love to say Come my way Okay, so that gives you a flavour of... Well, the opening line, <laughs> Wild Mountain Time, <laughs> is a direct reference, you know, to, to being a folk artist, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and so there was a folk album, then there was a pop album. Oh. And what happened is, that I mean, I've got to tell you about her amazing background, her amazing family background, yeah. because her mum's family were secret um, opponents of the Nazi regime in Vienna. Her dad was for working for the British Secret Services. And actually, they lived for a while in Ormskirk while he got his MA at Liverpool University. Uh-huh. There you go. And his dad met the mum, yeah. and they moved to the UK. Her dad met the mum, moved to the UK. Um, and there's a, th- there was a kind of narrative in the press that she was a rich girl, certainly more privileged than most of us, but she got on a scholarship to a convent school in Reading. It wasn't, it wasn't all it was painted out to be, should right, we say. Okay. She was on the folk circus, went to the launch of a Rolling Stones album, whichever one it was in 64, and Andrew Lou Golden, the Stones manager, heard her and thought, we could do something with you, and so got Jagger and Richard to write a song for her. And this was her first hit. As tears go by. It is the evening of the day. I sat and watched the children play. Smiling faces I can see, but not for me. I sit and watch as tears go by. Goodbye. 
So Marianne Faithful with the tears as tears go by. The Stones didn't record their version until about a year later. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I do so, know the song. Yeah. yeah. So she so so she came on the scene and in retrospect, you read press reports from today saying, Oh, she was a big teen sensation in the sixties. I'm not sure whether she was. Right. I've had a look at some but but she was quite she was quite popular, but she became in inverted commas, notorious yeah. for she married a guy, had a baby with him, a couple of weeks later moved in with Mick Jagger. I mean, oh. that's that's kind of boiling it down to... A, well, there was the whole um, thing with the uh, Mars bar, uh, which is, is famous for, but which is obviously... Uh, a clearly a deeply sexist... Yeah, well, you know. well it, apparently it wasn't true either. Right, OK. The police raided his flat for yeah. drugs, and she was there dressed only in a rug. Right. And someone, whether it was PR or what, made up okay. this story. But yeah. it, it was interesting that because she was doing okay with her career, getting a few singles mm. and that. And then she said, um, yeah, look, Faithful discussed her wilder days once to um, a newspaper a couple of years ago. And she said that the drug bust for, for the rug incident, she said it ravaged her personal life. I'm not quite sure how old she'd be at the time, but probably yeah. only yeah, 20 yeah. or so. She said, the, and these are quotes, it destroyed me. To be a male drug addict and to act like that is always enhancing and glamorising. A woman in that situation becomes a slut and a bad mother. Yeah. So yeah. by 1968... Bullseye, she's hit there, yeah, I think. Yeah, wow. You know, you know. And, 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 you know, anyone that's read any interviews or seen her over the past 30 or so years knows that she shoots from the hip. She just tells it like this. Yeah. She then became addicted to coke. She miscarried a daughter... And then went off to live in Ireland in Jagger's house there, split up with him. And then really the next kind of 10 years or so are a kind of almost like if you were going to write a film about someone going downhill, you'd, you'd write what she went through. Oh, okay. She was homeless in Soho wow. and all places like that. And she really was homeless, became a heroin addict. Oh. And the painter Francis Bacon... I'm a big fan of his stuff. Yeah. And I read an interview with Francis Bacon a couple of years ago, and he said he used to see this woman and occasionally buy her breakfast. And it was Marianne Faithful. Really? And she oh, had an awful time in the in the 70s. She lived for two years in Soho, suffered from heroin addiction and anorexia nervosa. They tried to help her. Her friends tried to help her and all that. Right. Um, very little luck. She also... And I, sh I should have really mentioned this before, Ian. She co-wrote Sister Morphine on Sticky Fingers. Oh, okay. And the, the yeah. Stones didn't credit her uh, at the time. Yeah. Now, trying to find out why they didn't credit her is difficult. I've yeah. read that they didn't want the money to go to her agent. Right. They also were worried that she would spend the money on drugs. Anyway, she won a court case, and she's now credited with co-writing Sister okay. Morphine. So she did some good stuff. Yeah. But it's tough, isn't it? Because you know we 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 all know addicts and and so forth, and you do your best to help people, especially if they've been really good friends. But if if that person just won't listen, you know, yeah. it's it can. Ah, oh, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? You know, yeah, yeah. We've, we've all had that experience. Yes, um, and her situation, it would have been. I mean, I vaguely remember. In the late sixties, well, about ten, eleven, and, uh, and seventies, reading about her, and it was always, it was always, she just felt, oh, what, you know, when you're a kid, you don't understand, and yeah. it, she just seemed like a sad and desperate figure, you know, and and the tabloids show no mercy. 
So the yeah, fame you know. that she she gained and notoriety, yeah. unfortunately, the, the, the behest of the male sexist music press or whatever, this would have led to a deterioration of her mental state oh, yes. and her looking for solace in in and, uh, heroin and, and cocaine. And, yeah, and her voice. She yeah. then developed severe laryngitis really, really badly. Okay. And she had all the drug problems and really didn't record anything substantial for about 11 years. And then um, in 1979, she was done for uh, marijuana uh, possession in Norway. And then it... What was she doing in Norway? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was anything to do with Marbar, that's for sure. But, but um, her album Broken English came out. Ah, uh, yeah. And you've heard that, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Is that the one with the famous cover? Yeah. 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 And, yeah. I mean, it encompassed so many styles. Yeah. It really shocked 70s people like people because we'd been through punk, we were about to go through Scar. Yeah. And this name from, from the tabloids in the 60s came along. Yeah. And I remember um, some mates... Of, in fact, I've tried to find this um, track for, for years. Some mates of mine, when I lived in Liverpool, the, um, they recorded the song Broken English, which you're going to hear in a sec. And it was about the time of the Falklands War when they recorded... Well, sorry, when they mixed it, so it would be at 82 or whatever yeah. it was. And they took speeches from the politicians at the time. So you'd be talking Reagan, Thatcher and all that. Yeah. And, and mixed it into Marianne Faithfull's broken English. And I've been trying this weekend to find out whether the, the file still exists. Yeah. And we don't think it does, which oh, is a okay. real shame. Yeah. But this song, it, for people that haven't heard the album, um, it's not really indicative of the whole album because every song is... Is quite different. She does a good version of Working Class Hero, really good version of Working Class Hero. Okay. She does another six-minute song called "What? Uh, Why'd You Do It?" Right. And it's brutal about a lover. Why'd you use my dope? Why'd you do this? Right. Swear and it. So did, she got back on track now. Well, it's it seemed that she had she's she's had s slips from yeah. them, but I, I mean, Broken English was probably one of her. I mean, she's had some top critically acclaimed album since Is that. Is this but, her high watermark? Yeah, I, I would say so, but that's a very personal... She, she yeah. did another one a couple of years ago called Strange Weather. She made an album this year of reading, just reading poetry. Okay. I don't know what that's like. Well, <laughs> well the thing is, but, if she's know. still with us, then she's a survivor, isn't she? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know. a mate of mine went to see her a couple of years ago in Liverpool and said she was fantastic because yeah. she's got she's got a stunning speaking voice. She's got that sort of you might want to call it a whiskey voice, I don't yeah. know what you call yeah. it, but deep voice for a woman anyway, which yeah, yeah. always works when you're telling stories, whether yeah. you're a man or a woman. Um, and he said she was fantastic. Um, and then she she had an album out more recently called Strange Weather, which is more jazz and blues. But Broken English is uh, is the one we're going to play now and. It's uh, it's political. It's it's everything, and talk about a, a turn in a career. Yeah.
Well, there's a there's an anti-war song if ever there was one. Great record, brilliant, that, isn't it? Yeah, Sounds yeah. great. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 love it. And their voice. Yeah. I personally, I much prefer it now than I did in the yeah the sixties stuff, which was a bit yeah. twee for me. You know, yeah, absolutely. But what a what a voice and what a great lyrics as well, wasn't it? You know, yeah. that's um, a that's a classic song there. I haven't heard it in a very long time. No. I'd completely forgotten about it, but listening to it there, yeah. the way that it sounds, I love the, the synth bass line pulsating oh, all the way yeah. through it. First track on the album, apparently, I read somewhere, it was it was dedicated to Ulrika Meinhof from the Bader Meinhof gang. Oh, really? Now, that's, that's I've read that one one place. It's certainly an anti-war song and all that. Okay. But yeah, so that's... Yeah. And, and, and her background is very political in the way that I've described, you yeah. know, like anti-Nazi during the war. Her grandmother was Jewish. Yeah. Um, yeah had well, the Red I Army mean, faction did, a few people from the art world would uh, not show them support, but would at least reflect yeah. um, an understanding of whatever it was they were, they were fighting for. Yes. Or terrorising people for. Whichever. Yeah, well, yeah, whichever. But, yeah. But, but the comparison between that and the early early voices it's yeah. quite incredible isn't it yeah that's a, that's a well give me that any day of the week rather than the uh, rolling stones one definitely um, yeah, yeah. that has weight behind it yeah yeah Great. so um well i'm going to talk about somebody who who did something which people lovers of music find terminally fascinating is the, is when people are involved and loved as musicians or songwriters or singers and then completely decide to walk away from it or disappear from it. It's something that fascinates us all because I, I know this from doing my Monday Club and from doing being a singer and a songwriter all these years. People absolutely love music and they also like to be involved with it. They like to know facts about it. They like to know background uh, things about artists. It's like we have this thing certainly in this country if I hear a new artist my first question is where are they from yeah you know yeah yeah where are they from and it's something that's kind of gone a bit missing now with if you hear new bands they they can be from several places they're not just of somewhere you know but I, I always go where's this band from it's, a, it's an important thing isn't it their, their whole story so when a, when artists um, just walk away from it at that point they become even if it's unintended, they become like mythical. Yes. Or so, Sid like Barrett. Sid Barrett being yeah. a classic example, Peter Green. Peter Green. Um, even here in Liverpool, Lee Mavers, you know, people yeah. go, well, whatever happened to him? Yeah. It gains some some sort of mystical whatever. Yeah. Um, and even the, the the guy at the Mannix who just disappeared and was never seen ever again. Oh, yeah, Richie. Richie. Yeah. So that's, it's, it is of immense fascination to people because people go, why would you walk away from the best job in the world? Yeah. Being a, you know, a, a famous rock star. Well, like Bobby Gentry. Yeah, yeah. Before, yeah. Why would you do this? So it, 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 uh, it, it people are, are sort of fascinated by this, this idea that you, you would have everything and then just go, don't want it, you know, because they don't, they, you know, they're working on the uh, tides of the factory bench or they're doing a nine to five they don't like or just going through the rigours of, of their lives to make, doing a job, which is for most people, doing a job they don't like so they can pay the mortgage or the rent or look after the family, they've got young children or whatever. They'd love to do that. And then these people choose to walk away from it. And um, 
This artist I'm going to talk about is uh, very well known in folk circles. If you're not familiar with, uh, with those circles, then you, you may never have heard of her. And it's a woman who's still alive called Anne Briggs. And uh, in the 60s, Anne was very well known in the folk world, which is a small world, you know what I mean? Um, but, and, and she kind of touched the lives of so many of the, the, the people that we know. In the in the folk world, the famous names: Ewan McCall, she, she, uh, Bert Yanch, uh, Christy Moore, Mr. Thompson from from the Fairport Convention. You know, I mean, she knew she she was a, a, at least came into some contact with all of these people, and they all they all knew of her because of her immense uh, singing voice. These are this is in the folk. Clubs. This is in the folk clubs of the nineteen right. sixties. Right. Now she was from Nottinghamshire, and she would she'd been. I think she'd been orphaned very early on and was brought up by an auntie and an uncle. And she was, by her own description, she was feral and she couldn't be controlled in any way. So she went, she basically ran off to join the folk circus. I think she went to, up to Edinburgh, was where she bumped into Bert Yanch. And she's only, she's only young, she's only, you know, 16, 17. But she had, uh, she'd already um, discovered that she could sing and interpret folk songs that she'd heard. So she would get up in... In, in folk clubs uh, uh, on the Edinburgh scene, you know, and it's only a small scene, but, and if you, if you know people within the scene, everybody would talk about you. And the f uh, just a word here about the folk scene. The folk scene is a very peculiar thing, and it's not, it's not something that I've ever been involved in. It's, I'm a rock and roller. Yeah, yeah. I've come to aspects of the folk scene later on in life, yeah. especially the Irish one, um, and become friends with lo lots of those uh, sort of people. But the folk scene is, is, is its own bubble, and it kind of, it's quite elitist, I've, it, you know, and it's sort of, uh, it, and it has its own uh, sort of leaders. Are you talking about the English I'm folk talking scene about the English folk more, scene. As opposed to As opposed to the Scottish American or, or the Irish or American okay, one. Okay. Um, so she's, she's kind of come into that one, and she's... She's part of the folk boom, but she's kind of peculiar because she sings in the Irish idiom. As Bert Jansch said, she could sing 30 verses of an unaccompanied song about Icelandic wailing or something, yeah. and she would keep, keep your attention, wow. which is a rare gift. Wow. You know, she had this thing. And she was, if you look at photographs of her from, the, from when she was young, she's incredibly attractive. Not, kind of not in a, she's kind of dark looking, just if you go online and yeah. Google her. Uh, Christy Moore says, um, watching her sing was quite a turn on, you know, she had this, she had this power. Oh, and she would sing unaccompanied. And, and she was like, she was authentic, uh, bohemian as well. She was wild. You know, she she would could not and would not be tamed by uh, anyone or anything. And in fact, she uh, she was the subject of a very famous song. We'll play it now, written by Richard Thompson, but famously sang. And I think the definitive version, in my opinion, is a song called Beeswing, which Christie has been singing for years and years. And I only recently realised that the song is about her. And if we have a listen to the song now, it will it will tell you. It basically give you the essence of who she was and her life and then and then uh, we'll talk about uh, where she got it all from I was 18 when I came to town they call it the summer of love 
Burning babies, burning flags, the hawks against the dove. I took a job at the steaming, way down on Caltrum Street. And I fell in love with the laundry girl working next to me. Brown hair zigzagged around her face, a look of half surprise. Like a fox caught in the headlights, there was animal in her eyes. She said to me, can't you see, I'm not the factory kind And if you don't take me out of here, I lose me mind Oh, she was a rare thing, fine as a bee's wing So fine a breath of wind might blow her away She was a lost child, she was running wild she said, so long as there's no price on Lovell's Day You wouldn't want me any other way We busked around the market towns, fruit picking down in Kent We could tinker pots and pans and knives wherever we went We were camping down the gower, but the work was mighty good she wouldn't wait for the harvest, and I thought we should. I said to her, we'll settle down and get a few acres dug, with a fire burning in the heart and babies on the rug. She said, oh man, you foolish man, that surely sounds like hell. You might be lord of half the world, you'll not own me as well. Oh, she was a rare thing, fine as a bee's wing So fine a breath of wind might blow her away She was a lost child, she was running wild She said, so long as there's no price and love will stay You wouldn't want me any other way Drinking more in those days, her tempers reached a pitch Like a fool I let her run away when she took the rambling itch And the last I heard she's living rough, back in the derby beat With a bottle of white horse in her pocket, a wolf found at her feet They said that she got married once to a man called Romany Brown even a gypsy caravan was too much like settling down They say her roses faded, rough weather and hard bows Maybe that's the price you pay for the chains you refuse Oh, she was a rare thing, fine as a bee's wing And I miss her more than ever words can say if I could just taste all of her wildness now If I could hold her in my arms today I wouldn't want her any other way She was a earth, fine as a bee's wing I miss her more than ever words can say Just test all of our way.
if I could hold her in my arms today I wouldn't want her any other way Isn't it? Oh, <laughs> um, wow. Um, so, Excellent. once she became known on the folk scene, she, she uh, hooked up with an Irish guy called Johnny Moynihan. And they, were, they spent a lot of their time out in Ireland. And they, they, they weren't doing this for effect. They, she just genuinely loved and wanted to go around Ireland singing in boozers and maybe singing at festivals or just on the way. And they, they would go around in a horse and cart. One of those beat-up old VW, you know, uh, Volkswagen vans. Um, so it was, you know, it was deeply uh, authentic. And it said that she, for all the dates she had booked in in folk clubs between 1963 and 1965, she only turned up to five of them. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a reputation for, yeah. you know, um, for not taking it as in the serious way that a lot of other artists would have. Right. It was, a, it was just something she did, you know, was, was that she could sing magnificently. And she, um, she had a deep love of the uh, Irish travelling people. I think she'd found out that her, her, her blood mother was Irish. And she'd kind of, when she went over, especially out west in Ireland, she, she felt a deep kinship with it, with the land and the people there. And uh, she learnt a lot of songs that, that, and would come into contact with people like John Riley, Pecker Dunn and Finbar Fiori's father, who were all of the of the um, the travelling tradition, you know, which holds within it um, uh, the real island. And they, they these people would sing songs stretching back hundreds and hundreds of years. They were the you know the the the, the, the primary tellers of the of the culture, and they were unaffected by singing styles which had been maybe slightly Americanized or whatever by the American folk boom, which a lot of the other singers, uh, you know, across the, uh, the island and the UK would have been doing, the, these, these people weren't affected by that. And she loved that. She loved that authenticity. And she also, one of the, I think one of the reasons why she didn't take it so seriously is because she, she hated formal situations. She hated to formally sing. She says she did, she, she didn't like, you know, buildings which were built for for you know to sing in or record in studios or if a microphone was put in front of her it made it formal for her and put like a, a barrier there which which you know she had no she had no, no interest in she she would say yeah. that she liked to disappear inside the song so that the audience didn't see her they heard the song okay um which was which basically led to her leaving only a, a you know a handful of recordings uh, of w w which we have to this day. Uh, you know, during this time with, with with Johnny Moynihan, she was more interested in jumping off cliffs. Famously, she jumped off a cliff because she saw some seals. I'm going in, <laughs> you know, right, right. and they were on the ale. They were on the ale big time, right. uh, you know. And um, Richard Thompson, who wrote that song Beeswing, says he only met her twice, and both times she was blind drunk. <laughs> and really you know, yeah. so uh, fair play for, for getting such a wonderful song out. Yeah, of what a great song. But she was, you know, uh, people talked about her. They talked about her. A, a wonderful, powerful voice. We're going to hear a song in, in a second. 
uh, by her. She, they, some Topic Records recorded her in 63 was, I think, the first time that she ever got recorded. And then it was kind of bits and pieces were recorded throughout the 60s where they could pin her down. Yeah. You know, she, she, she wouldn't have it. She wouldn't have uh, any sort of formality. And she definitely wasn't interested in stardom in any way. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas a lot of the others, they, they always have one eye. You know, I'm like this folk. It's boom. so it's so interesting that isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. we think of it as a career for most people. Exactly. You know, it's not, I think of it as a career. It wasn't me. a career for her, was it? No, no. It was just she could do it, and she could do it really well, and she was, and uh, she knew that people liked what she did. We're gonna play uh, to give to give you a. We haven't actually heard it yet, so we're going to hear uh, of a, an example of an amazing voice with a, a song called Blackwater. One morning to take the down by Blackwater was in gazing all around me twas the Irish lad I spied all through the young man he arose and he gathered his clothes he said fare well today well that's not the promise that you gave sun rose in the west then go brought with your wants and will for there's not a
sure it's fishes that fly and the seas run dry. Tis then he'll marry I, what I love about it is you can hear uh, the Irish and the English in the in in the uh, music and her styles there. She, yeah. she had a great love of Shan Noss singing, which is um, unaccompanied ancient Irish singing, uh, which she picked up when she was over there with uh, Johnny Moynihan. So, but you can hear the English in there as well. So she, it's a, an unusual mix of both, and. It's there's something about it, isn't it? The atmosphere. Well, hairs on the back of my neck. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm just thinking all the time. I'd love to see a film of her life. Or yeah. You know, because the Beeswing song kind mm. of teed her up. Yeah. And you hear yeah. that, and you're thinking, wow, 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 what well, an amazing woman. Well, what happened next was she that she did actually finally record an album of her own songs, which I don't think, don't think she particularly liked very much. And then, uh, because she did get a major record deal, you know, which again, most people would give their grandmothers for. And she was making uh, another song, another album, and she wasn't particularly happy with that. And she just walked away from it. She just decided she wasn't interested at all. She's, she went off to live in the north, right top of the Highlands in Scotland, got married, had a couple of kids, and where she lives to this day. You know, wow, and wow. she's uh, and if, if actually you do go on the internet, there's she, it's there's not much mystique to it in reality. She's she's given plenty of interviews and she talks about it, and she she's not like uh, she just sounds completely normal. She's slightly baffled by the fact that she's uh, you know become such a a, a star of a, 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 a mystical of the folk scene. She's like you know people like Kate Rusby. And the wonderful Eliza Carthy, who are uh, you know are seen as um, the inheritors of what she kind of began, and certainly inspirations. Does she still sing? No, not really. No, she says she'll sing to uh, to her grandchildren or something. And she, you know, uh, she, it was just it just wasn't the path that she saw having for herself. And why should she? Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And she's, I think she finds it slightly comical that, you know, she'd. And, and it, it, just by, if you if you actually listen to her being uh, interviewed, she just kind of slow, you know, takes the air out of it all and you realise it's not mystical at all. No, you know, no, she, but It's just somebody with a wonderful voice. But it's so interesting that. Yeah. that. And that's us, that's us projecting onto her. Of course, yeah, um, yeah. About the whole thing about, oh, why did you walk away? She's just not, I don't want to live my life like this, so I'm not going to do it. You know, and there's, there's no mysticism in that. It's, um, well, if she was jumping off cliffs and getting bladdered all the time, <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. that's part of the package, you know what I mean, for her. Yeah, as, I think as she says in one of the, the later things that I, I heard, she says, man, I was just a bit feral, you know, and yeah. uh, she certainly wasn't going to be, uh, uh, it, you know, the, it, there's a certain regimentation. If you're going to release records, it means you've got to promote them. You've got to do the gigs and all yeah. that. And, uh, you know, and sh she said herself, you know, I couldn't be trusted to do these things. So they, they, they left me to it. And they were right to do that. 
you know, wasn't cut out for it. So, um, but we are left with, uh, you know, a selection of some of her music and uh, we listen to her. She moves through the fair now and no finer version of this uh, wonderful old song. My young love said to me, my mother won't mind, and my father won't slight you for your lack of kind. Then she laid her hand on me, and this she did say. Oh, it will not be long, love, till our wedding day. She laid her hand on me, and she moved through the fair. Briggs and she moved to the fair. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. As you say, that that is a definitive version if ever there was one, I think. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in the next episode, we're looking at four male artists who've changed direction radically. I won't tell everyone who they are. We'll leave that yeah. as a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, fascinating um, some of the things that these people have done as they've gone along, you know, and they've gone, they've t- taken big left turns. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, with, with, Financial considerations thrown out, absolutely, you know, yeah, so, with uh, varying degrees of success, bra- utter bravery in in uh, some cases, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.